0: this week's edition of Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at cleveland.com, joined by award-winning columnist for cleveland.com and the plane dealer, Terry Pluto. Terry, how are you doing? I'm doing well, David. Are you still basking in the glow of All-Star Weekend? That was something. It was a great weekend for Cleveland, a great weekend for the NBA. Really fun time. What, what, what was your take on the NBA uh, All-Star Weekend? I, I haven't really had a chance to talk to you about that.
1: Well, the, I mean, the nice thing is first of all, Cleveland knows how to run big events. And I'm speaking that I remember during the uh, uh, 2016 World Series, this guy comes up to me and he works security at all these big events. He's from Cleveland. And he was talking to me um, just before, like, I think it was game seven in Cleveland. And he said, you know, they had to have the Republican convention there. And then also the World Series and, and all and remember the Cavs too. So they had three of them. He said Cleveland is one of the best cities for security to work. Really? You can work it's un, kind of under control. It's he goes, We love these mid midwestern, mid-sized cities. And people just they don't seem as angry. <laughs> and it's just kind of like you could just handle things better than I forgot what he was saying, something in Washington, DC, and some others that it was just how hard that was. And I think it showed out again with how Cleveland shined. It really did. It glittered. And on top of it, to have four players involved uh, was remarkable.
0: And just going back to the gravity of the event, I I, want to give a quick hat tip to Cleveland.com's coverage Mm -hmm. staff, the, the reporters, the photographers we're all out there. It's so much more than a basketball game. There's the nightlife, the concerts. And if you get a chance, if you haven't already go back and and check out all that reporting that was done, all the pictures. And um, especially, you know, I wanted to mention Chris Fedor and Ashley Bastock, the the two members of the sports team who were out there. They they thought they really captured, they they each wrote a piece about what they'll remember from the weekend. Mm -hmm. And I thought they really captured the vibe of what it was, just the, the magnitude of having that 75th anniversary team there yes. and having all those players and all those celebrities and all those people under one roof for one night, like that'll never happen again. And it happened no. in Cleveland. No, like it was such a powerful year. moment,
1: wasn't it? Yeah, the fiftieth year, you know, was here also. And, and were you at uh, that? Were you at that? Yes, I was. The what one was difference like? I was, I was the only thing I was disappointed as, and I think because of COVID, whether they didn't do it for the fiftieth year, they really did make all those guys available for quite a while for interviews. I remember like bouncing from Will Chamberlain to, you know, Bill Russell to all these different guys. Um, I, they had to watch all kinds of things this year and how to do it. I want to say Chris Fito were a really interesting piece to me because we're generations apart about how in 97, his father took him to the All-Star game. And there was a young Kobe Bryant that, you know, kind of touched him like maybe Michael Jordan or Julius Irving or whoever it was way back when for some of us. And I love that wide eyed fan perspective that he brought to that. And then it just shows his love for pro basketball, you know, many years later here he is covering one. And, and I, and Ashley as you know, she played basketball at John Carroll and then uh, she does a lot of our Brown stuff, but you could just tell her love for basketball comes out in her writing to see some of the younger writers coming along. And I think that it just really invigorates me because their energy, uh, rubs off
0: all right terry so the glow of the all-star game is going to wear off on yes. cleveland and, and the cavaliers are going to be getting back at it and having four players involved it's it can be a little much sometimes for a young player to be in that environment and come back and kind of get their legs back on the ground how do you see the these young Cavs players who were involved in that spectacle readjusting to the grind of of the rest of the nba season here i mean when we're talking young we're
1: talking young is between the ages of twenty and twenty-three, for the four guys. Because remember, Laurie Markkinen was the old guy at twenty-four in the lineup when he was starting. So, one of the things that maybe JB just needs to remind them is the reason four of them went is winning, and the reason three of them especially went was defense. You know, O'Quil Allen. And Mobley really have made their mark as defensive players. And Darius, while he's not a defensive player, but what would, would made him stand out, yes, he's got the shooting and that, but he's learned to get his big man. As Mark Price said, as a smaller point guard, younger, you got to get your big men to follow you. And Darius has done that. So in other words, the things that made them all-stars are not what we often uh, think about with the glamour and glitz of the NBA and the big numbers and all that stuff. Uh, It really was team basketball, which is why so many fans have gravitated to this group. I don't think it'll be a big problem, but I would not be surprised at some point when they have a couple of clunker games, if JB digs out that speech he gave early in the year, I called it the, we haven't won anything yet speech,
0: just to kind of remind them a little bit. All right. So we're talking future of the Cavs. And before we move on, one of the storylines that came out of all-star weekend was a re- report that LeBron LeBron was talking about his future and, and uh, would he ever return to Cleveland and wanting to play uh, with Bronny, his son, who's going to be eligible for the uh, draft in a couple of years. Oh, Terry, I can hear it already. So uh, so we've talked a lot about the Cavs' chemistry and that the pieces fit and the personalities fit with this team. And that's one reason that fans have really loved watching this group mm-hmm. you I, I'm hearing you groan so you're not in favor of this right. LeBron I mean, coming back the, or how remember, do you feel the
1: choice all right first of all this is real life it's not some fantasy thing the choice is not let's just put LeBron James on this group right now and we'll give the Lakers or Coral and Laurie Markkinen you know that's not going to do it LeBron is under contract next year for the Lakers if you want to go get uh, him in the offseason you're talking Mobley or you're talking Jared Allen and Garland, you're talking breaking up this core of guys. Now, if LeBron were to suddenly appear here with this group, I think they could, you know, they could really do some damage in the playoffs. I think they would figure it out. But that's not the choice. You know, the choice is if you want to chase LeBron, then you're gonna to have to break up what you got here. And I'm gonna have no interest in
0: doing that. But there's also a buyout possibility if he really wanted to make it happen. I mean, LeBron has enough sway where he could ask for a buyout and they probably would give it to him. And and then there's after next season too, right? Well, there is after next season. So how deep do you want to go into the cap for a 39-year-old
1: LeBron James? 39-year-old LeBron James.
0: There's by the way, that. Way, that so, can- so there's two parts of this, Terry. Right there's the money part of it and the assets, and what how he would end yeah. up here. I, I'm curious your thoughts on LeBron is such an unselfish player and wants to win. Do you think if LeBron did drop onto this team that yes, that could I, work? I think I mean, yes, he could, it could work, especially short term. Uh, what, what the players
1: would have to do though is they would have to exert themselves, and LeBron would have to you know, how so often he would just dominate the ball and keep parts of the game all the time. Uh, That would have to, they'd have to work that through. But as I said, that is the one choice that's not there. And by the way, the Lakers are not going to buy out LeBron James. I had us talking to a top agent. He says, if it doesn't work in the offseason, he goes, wait till around August. If they haven't kind of got the team that LeBron likes or whatever, they'll run an auction for him. Somebody will trade for LeBron on a one-year contract. Are you kidding me? Philadelphia, no, you're, right. you're right somebody like that you're, mm-hmm. you're you're gonna and and they'll get some stuff so and then this stuff about his his son i suddenly i sort of this morning i was somebody else asked me about it and it's like how would you like to be brownie in this i mean very serious you know i've seen him ranked anywhere from 35 to 50th in this class as a prospect i mean whatever that means but it's not like you know Evan Mobley, for example, was the number one recruit in his class. Darius Garland the year before was like a number five recruit in his class in, out of high school. So, you know, usually most of these guys that you see on these teams are top 10 recruits or higher that are able to go in the NBA. And they usually struggle in that first year anyway. So uh, it's just it's, it's a it's a weird story. My my. Sources tell me LeBron is doing all this to put a ton of pressure on the Lakers to make some more moves in the offseason to get better. He would rather go try to go for a title there. But he also knows when he you know, he's done that here. Remember all the passive aggressive things he did and and that. So I guess what I really my I'm at. I want to just enjoy this team this year. I want to see them make the playoffs. If they win a round, I think it'd be almost remarkable because most young teams don't Now I know the Hawks did make a surprising run last year, but we'll see on, on this, but just, this is fabulous. And when it comes to LeBron, chill out.
0: (laughs) The two word message from Terry, chill out. All right. So getting away from speculation and what ifs moving back to this current team, Mm -hmm. I think one of the interesting storylines that we're going to be following the rest of the way is how, Darius Garland and Karis Levert can mesh in terms of who's doing what there is only one basketball. And I know Terry, you've written about how sometimes the ball can stick with Levert sometimes how he, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a plus and a minus where he can make his own shot, but also the Cavs are really known for ball movement, sharing the ball assists and all that. How do you see these two guys kind of negotiating that as the rest of the season goes on? It probably will
1: work better if they're not on the court together.
0: Uh, That's one way
1: because the ball stays with, with Darius quite a bit too. Um, but see, Darius has really worked on those those interesting shots where he dribbles into the lane. You don't know whether he's going to shoot a floater or throw a lob pass. You know, it, it comes off his hand the same way. You know, Lavert will have to learn how to do that. That will really help because he does like to go to the rim. And but I like a lot of things about Lavert. He's six foot five. He'll go after you on defense. His ball handling handling is handling is good enough. I mean, the the sad thing is Rubio was ideal for this group. I looked up this. I was stunned to still see it, uh, where I looked up the Cavaliers plus minus. You know, how much do you outscore the opponent when you're on the four versus others? And I knew Garland. Garland Garland's been the best all year. Rubio is still number two on the team. He hasn't played since the end of January.
0: And it's not an average either. It's total points your total, team scored total, when you were total, on the floor yeah. minus yeah, total he was like, points the opponent is Garland scored, was so. plus
1: 300 and something. Rubio was like plus 180. And then here came, you know, Allen and Mobley. And, um, you know, those guys were were right there. Like Markham Markkinen was up there. They were all like 140, 120. So, uh, but the top two still were Garland and Rubio. And when Garland and Rubio, when Rubio got hurt, there was a stat you could run uh, the best two in the NBA playing together. Who was the most productive? It was them together. Uh, and so we saw that now I don't think Levert is, is wired like Rubio was because Rubio, Rubio was a point guard, pass first point guard had to learn how to score, you know, now Levert is a score first guard who has going to have to learn how to pass. But I'm, you know, he only played four games. He's dropped in the middle of the season. Um, I do like the fact that this way, if Garland's back is acting up or whatever, you just rest them. You you've got Levert in there. You don't have to go to try to drag thirty minutes out of Rajon Rondo or what was his name, good one. I'm having a um, senior moment. That guard that they picked up from the G League that they were playing. I mean, I think it was Brandon Goodwin or whatever. I mean, yeah, he's okay, but he's a G League guard. So let's not go crazy. So this way, you've got a real guard.
0: Yeah. And also the other thing that, it, and it's kind of an intangible, but aside from just time on court and time on practice, the, you know, the Cavs have a homestand coming up, but they'll be taking yeah. road trips and he'll get to know the guys more and they'll get yes. to know him. And that all helps too, in terms of. And his, his
1: reputation as in terms of a guy wanting to win, working with others, it's really strong. So that comes into play. And I think, um, you know, he's got another year in his contract, so it's not like he's got to put up, I'm sure everybody wants an extension. You know, we all want an extension in life, but uh, he's, he's, he's got a contract for next year. So it's not like he's
0: got to go on average 25 here to hit, hit the free agent market. Right. All right, Terry, let's look at the schedule coming up here for the Cavs. Um, we're taping this on Wednesday afternoon. The Cavs are back at it on Thursday. They're at Detroit at seven and they have a three game homestand starting Saturday. They're home against Washington at eight. And on Monday, they have Minnesota at seven. And then next Wednesday, they have Charlotte, that's also a 7 o'clock tip at home. And then uh, we talked about this a little bit, but next Friday, March 4th, they're playing at the Sixers, which is going mm-hmm. to be a very interesting matchup. I know there's a little rivalry going on between uh, Jared Allen and Joel Embiid. So that'll be the next chapter in that uh, matchup. So that'll be interesting. How about the Sixers,
1: though? They went and they, you know, Embiid played like his life was on the line against the Cavaliers right before the All-Star break. Then the next night or whatever, their next game before the All-Star break, the Celtics... I don't know, they were losing by 50-some in that game at one point. I think they lost by 40-some. They just didn't show up. See, I, don't, I haven't seen that from the Cavs this year. I've seen them play bad games. But I haven't seen a game where I felt like collectively they just checked out. And that's what I'm hoping that we don't see in the second half because that's what made this team good. That will, that will be what J.B. is going to have to continue to underline and highlight what made us good. Here's what did it. And that's, that's like, here is how we win. Here is how we become all stars. We become all stars. No, not you, you know not me, we. And, and that has been what he's been able to sell to them. and it's, it's not easy for young players to come through that star system
0: in an AAU weeks to buy into that. Which makes it even more, all the more remarkable that it's happened. Yeah. It, it I do goes, think too, uh, the defense will get better with Markin and coming back. Yeah. They it'll do. be good. It'll be good when they get healthy and get all their pieces back and uh, they can tune up for the playoffs. So, all right, Terry, let's take a break. We'll come back. We're going to talk some Browns. We'll get into a little Cleveland state basketball. We've got some really good questions uh, for Hey Terry this week and a Terry's trivia question on which colleges, have the most players on the current Browns roster. So we'll get into all that when we come back on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Terry, it's always Brown season, as you know. And this week, some interesting tweets from Jarvis Landry. How about we do this? How about I read a little bit of what he said, and then Mm -hmm. I want to get your take on it. So so just as a little background, everybody knows Jarvis is going to be turning 30, in November of this year, and his cap hit for next season is $16.37 million. And if the Browns let him go, it would only cost them uh, $1.5 of dead cap space. So those are the numbers behind it. But something set him off this week in terms of wanting to get this out there and was really interesting to see. So he tweeted, reality behind all this is I came back to play in the best shape of my life. I got hurt two in week two with a high-grade MCL sprain, partial quad tear, and bone bruise. Then came back way too early and ended up staying hurt the entire season. You never heard me mention anything about it. I have put the ball in Klee court by telling them I would like to stay, but if not, then I'm confident enough in myself to be a better healthy me this year and moving forward to helping do my part in winning a championship elsewhere. And then he also tweeted before this year, I missed zero games. So push y'all narrative. It's noted. I gave everything, everything. And there were exclamation points in that last one there. So, What'd you think, Terry? I would say most of what he said is absolutely true. Um,
1: he, the only game he had ever missed before this season was that game where they had the false positive or whatever for the COVID thing. Remember that with the, with the, the, when they were in New York? So that's why I always appreciated about Jarvis. Why I always insisted he was the best receiver on the team, not Odell, partly because he's reliable. And I also thought he was just more team-oriented you know, he would block, he would do those things. Secondly, I bet he did come back too early because he's wired that way. Third, I would imagine that what he said about his injury is all correct. You know, that there was an MCL and then probably usually if you have a strain ligament, there's usually some partial tear that goes with it. And what a bone bruise, you know, the way those guys are, I mean, I don't know how they walk after games. So all that's all that's true. I think, two things are at play. Number one is he would love them to pick up the $16 million for next year because he knows if he goes in the open market, there is no way he's coming close to that. So as he said, the ball is in Cleveland's court. They could just pick up 16000000 million. They're not going to. As you mentioned, um, it's a 1.2 cap just to let it go. The question would be, and I would be willing to sit down with his agent and say, all right, what do you have in mind for a one-year deal? Let's just see, because Jarvis Landry at half of that, seven eight million dollars a year, and I know there's some in- injury questions now after that year. Um, I like Jarvis. I, I thought he represented a lot of what was what John Dorsey wanted when they brought him in here, which is that toughness and that. Um, I think he could work in the offense here. We saw it, especially in twenty. And so uh, uh, I'd be interested. Now, will he want to go pursue the open market? That would be one of those where I would probably decide to come in with a number and say, okay, this is it, you know, kind of take it or leave it. If not, you know, go out in the open market. And we're going to look at
0: somebody else. Uh, Cause they got to get receivers. So if he doesn't, if the Browns don't pick up the 16 million. Well, they won't. He's. There's not much keeping him. There's no reason for him to sign here after that, right? Well, unless you think, all right, you
1: know, you put it out and say, "I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you eight million. I'll give you half of it for next year." But then you got to wait. You know, of course, there's always the unofficial tampering and that. Would
0: anybody do better? They, they might, but I'm. I mean, I'm just interested in if, if he's going to be here next season. It's going to be under the 16 million which you say isn't going to happen or he's gone I mean that's where I'm at like there's I can't see like a middle step where the Browns like hey take a pay cut and stay here if he's going to take a pay cut I think he's gone that's what I'm yeah I'm I'm
1: generally and one of the rules in pro sports and for the most part is that uh, if you're going to whack a guy that much you're better off letting him go somewhere else but it's like the Chris Hubbard, for example, not not the same thing, but he went from like a $7 million cap number to like two and a half a couple of years ago. They negotiated him down. Um, and I want to say they did somebody else too. It happens more in football than you think. It tends to happen more with mid-level players, but I would be willing to say this is, and that way, then it's his choice. You know, you, do you want to do this? And then it's like, all right, unless you sit down with him and have a feeling he's just going to, uh, have an attitude about that. And then there, but I,
0: I don't know. I, I like Jarvis. Well, that's what I'm getting at. Like I'm just playing devil's advocate here. And 16, yeah. 16 million is a big number, but if you're the Browns and Doug LaMaurice and Scott Patzko have talked about this on the got to watch the tape uh, podcast about they're going to revamp this receiver room with, with some young dynamic players. Mm -hmm. And those are guys are going to be taken in the first, second, third, wherever the Browns take them. They're going to be on rookie contracts. Is it worth, I mean, you have Jarvis Landry, who is a consummate pro, a team guy comes to work every day, stands up in front of the locker room and gives speeches when people aren't working hard enough and, and being accountable. Is that worth $16 million to have Jarvis Landry around for one season to bring these young guys into the NFL and say, listen, you watch Jarvis Landry and he's going to show you how to succeed in this league. Is that worth it? I don't know. I'm just interested in that that idea.
1: It's an interesting question because um, it would show the team is, you know, we're going to reward you even though you're coming off this lousy year because of injuries. And that will speak, you know, to some people in the locker room. Uh, The other compromise, you know, I'm, and I'm a, I think you know that with me, I'm always kind of like, let's figure out what makes works for other people. I'm, my thing is generally, if I get 80, 85% of what I want, I'm, that's pretty good in life. Instead of being, you know, being miserable about the 15% you don't. What if you do an incentive contract? $8 million base,
0: we start working in games played, we start working in other stuff, which they did with Jadavion Clowney last season. Yeah. Incentives. Base incentives and incentives. Pick it up. Yeah. Incentives all the time. Um, why not?
1: Great question. Like that. Yeah. That's, a, that's an As interesting option. Because I really don't want to pay sixty million million if Jarvis plays six games. And you hope that doesn't happen, but he's starting to get on the other side of his career. And while he had been durable up till now, um, he took a beating last year and he's actually taken beatings in his past. He played through, because even in 20, he wasn't, he played, but he was not as physically strong as he had been in 19. So those are just some of my thoughts, but I, I don't want to just say 16 or nothing. And it's like, I would really have a, I'd want to have a heart to heart with him, see where he's at. Now, if he was really interested, just in want to go, Test it. I'm not picking up the 16 million. Go ahead, you know. But I think you could find it could be pretty cold out there.
0: Yeah, and I guess the other question, Terry, and you're you bringing up some really good considerations. There is, could they let Jarvis go and find another veteran who could bring those same intangibles mm-hmm. for a lot less money, which is another option. So
1: yeah, I, the 16. You know, you're paying 16 million for a guy who's big time.
0: You know, Jarvis is not
1: big time anymore. So if that's that's your thing, but I like the idea, the fact that they do definitely need somebody. Uh, and they can't bring in. Oh, who was that guy they brought in a couple of years ago? It was just such a uh, d- terrible. You know, Dwayne saw. Bowe.
0: Dwayne Bowe. When
1: Dwayne Bowe was was the one that uh, came in then, he was he was brutal.
0: To bring this all full so full circle, Terry, will Jarvis Landry be a Cleveland Brown in twenty twenty two?
1: If I had a bet, I would bet against it. Um, I Kenny Britt was the wonderful other thing. So Kenny Brett or Dwayne Bow, you don't need that. Both of which guys had dubious reputations too. Um, no, I don't think he will be because I think what's going to happen is he'll want the 16 million or he'll want to w- go, go walk.
0: I think you are right. That is my prediction. I, I just find this stuff interesting to consider because you can tell the Browns are going through all these options in their heads too. So, all right, let's talk backup quarterbacks, Terry. This is kind of one of the heated topics of the offseason is what should the Browns do to back up Baker Mayfield in 2022? I think Teddy Bridgewater is someone you've been curious about in terms of how he would fit here. And why don't you mm-hmm. talk about what he would bring and why you think it might make sense? It was an interesting thought of, you know, the, the case
1: Keenum thing. And I, I, I try not to just hop on that horse again about how I really believe that cost him the playoffs, not playing him. Couple of those games because I believe you were to beat Pittsburgh both times. You know, you didn't have to score a lot of points; you just didn't need to, to mess up. Well, I think Bridgewater is a higher caliber version of Case Keenan. And Bridgewater, you know, some of the stats I'm looking at right now: first career is record is 33 and 30, 71 touchdowns compared to 43 interceptions. Uh, 66% completion rate with uh, Denver this year as a starter. He was seven and seven, 18 touchdowns, seven interceptions. I mean, he's not eye popping, but I think with this offense, with the running game with that, you don't need eye popping. You just need a guy that's not throwing the ball to the other team, a guy that's not getting passes batted down. Um, And I think Bridgewater can do that. You know, he, he had an 11-5 and record with Minnesota in 2015. But then after that's when he had that really devastating uh, knee, knee injury. But, for example, he came in 2019 in New Orleans when Breeze got hurt and they went 5-0 and with him. Uh, this guy could help you win games. So that would be – that's as opposed to Carson Wentz, Andy Dalton. I think I'd rather have Bridgewater and Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, of course, some of those other guys you'd have to trade for. Uh, where Bridgewater is a free agent. Now, Bridgewater also, maybe he ends up getting a three-year deal from somebody too because somebody would be able to just say, well, you know, we're terrible. This guy could at least, you know, make us legit.
0: I am going to be interested to see what the Browns do with their assets this, mm-hmm. this offseason because the window is open right now. You've got a Miles Garrett in his prime. you got a good yeah. young group of defensive players. And would the Browns, you know, if it came to signing you guys a free agent or – trading a draft pick down the road to get somebody like Teddy Bridgewater, would they pull the trigger on that? Because it's, it's urgency is here. It's like, it's time to go. So. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't want to trade every first round pick like, you know, Los Angeles did, but I'd be willing to trade one. I'd be willing to look at these things. Cause it's not just, yeah, you got miles in his prime, but you also have, you know, Chubb signed up for a couple of years, but running back shelf life, I believe Kareem is going into the last year of his contract. Uh, I have to look and see Kareem Hunt. And so you have those two. Now you signed up Batonio and you signed up Teller, Um, but I don't know what they're going to do about whether they're going to bring Treader back or something else at center. And defensively though, that, you know, they made a lot of nice moves. That defense was a playoff caliber. And I believe a playoff winning defense, by the second half of the year. Once they got settled in and it got out of that, whatever weird zone they were playing where they could never figure out who to cover wide open in the end zone. I remember early in the year that stopped the second half and I was told simply they simplified it. How's that? Well, whatever they did, just keep doing it because that worked. And I'm so I'm you have a, a playoff caliber defense. You have playoff caliber running backs. I think you probably have a playoff caliber offensive line, assuming Conklin comes back and plays, you know, as he did before. Um, But you did not anything close to
0: playoff caliber passing game and quarterback. All right. Going to be interesting. That's one of the big questions of the offseason. We'll see where the Browns end up uh, as backup quarterback. And Terry, you were just talking about defense. And this moves nicely into our next topic here, which is Cleveland State Vikings basketball, which is to talk about a team built on defense. Um, Cleveland State has won another Horizon League regular season title. And I thought you had a really interesting column today about they had to drive through a snowstorm to do it. It hasn't been an easy road, but they've managed to pull it off. This has been some story. Yeah, it
1: is. By the way, just so you know, Kareem Hunt indeed is in – and 22 will be his last year under contract. So that's another, if you, you know, right, urgency yep. there because I doubt they're going to turn around and give him, you know, something like they gave Chubb. So, okay, uh, Cleveland State, this is, you know, <laughs> of course, you, you write something nice about that. It's like, well, the Horizon League isn't very good and, you know, this, well, they were bad in whether the league was any good or not. I mean, they had lost an average of twenty-one games, uh, twenty-one. Excuse me, twenty-one or more games the previous four seasons before Dennis Gates arrived, and he lost twenty games too his first year. And then they went to the NCAA's last year, and this year they've won the regular season. Um, that's two years in a row, and it's not as if they went out and were picking up. Um, Players who were kicked off a big program for whatever reason. I mean, it was not a shortcut approach. I mean, these guys, you look at, um, I mean, it's old Kevin Mackey line, you know, other teams at McDonald's, all Americans. My kids eat at McDonald's. Well, it was kind of like that. You know, most of these guys, I mean, they were a couple of their kids, like Trey Gomillion, uh, Craig Bodon, and some of these others. They went to junior college, not because of a great thing. They just had no division one offers and they thought they could go a year and try to create some interest that way. And those are the Gates has tremendous contacts in the junior college world because they used to take some junior college kids at Florida state when he was an assistant there. So that helps them bring these kids in here. And when you're also bringing in these kids from these type of junior colleges, yellow, yellow Hill from Cleveland, um, cleveland heights he was down at tallahassee they come to cleveland state um this looks pretty good to them you know this division one they're not they're not spoiled they're used to bus rides they're used to these things and then you play you know he's another one It was a little like the cavaliers you know they're the defensive oriented pass the ball you know they lead the league in assist uh they lead the league in scoring but they have got Damoy Hodge is another junior college player. He's averaging 15 and Torrey Patton's at 12 and Traga Millions at 10. And there's a bunch of guys at seven and eight and six.
0: Um, it's, it, I just really enjoy them. And I really thought the comment that Dennis Gates had, they basically a snowstorm hit, they were trying to get to Green Bay and Milwaukee to play their games. And they basically yeah. had to bust the whole way through a snowstorm. And Gates just Plays said, yeah, what did him. he say? I didn't complain about it, so they better not complain about yeah, it. Yeah, they better or, not complain about it either. Yeah, Yeah, and, and that just and kind of other captured thing where they're at.
1: Fascinating to me is, you know, they played that triple overtime game where they lost to Purdue-Fort Wayne. Second half of that game, he doesn't play two of his starters at all, Des Moines Hodge and uh, Torrey Patton, two of his top two scorers. The third – and I, I mentioned it, I said, what was that about? He goes, well, you forgot Spider, which is Deontay Johnson, their starting center. He goes, he didn't play that much in the second half either. So I said, well, why not? He goes, the other guys were playing better. And he said, we are a team. And I think it's not that these kids um, had the bad attitude. I think he felt that they just been getting sloppy. And even though they lost in triple overtime, he said, he he always brings them together at half court and talks to them. And he said, they were expecting me to be really upset. And I made the decision. I was going to be tremendously upbeat and praise the guys who played. Um, and then that set up that trip where they went to, up to Wisconsin, which is even when those schools are not particularly good, usually you split on that trip and the Cleveland state had not won those back-to-back games since 2011 up there. And um, they, they won both games and they won them handily. Which put them and in position to up. win the league. Yeah. Yes. Where after a, a loss like that on the road at Fort Wayne, you know, you could have. Uh, by the way, look at the places they play. I mean, this is not glamour spots. You know, you're, you're taking some buses to go to Fort Wayne
0: and all that too. You don't like the Fort Wayne Green Bay uh, experience, oh, the, my right, the tour, yeah. like a the the quick, the the quick
1: stop at home for a day or two, and <laughs> you know, and off we'll get on the bus. I mean, they ended up. They they actually didn't bus directly to the first game was in Milwaukee. Because the flights all got canceled, they ended up staying the night in Chicago. Then he decides to arrange a practice in Chicago at UIC because he thought, well, maybe they could ride out the storm. And so they practice. They come out. Now they have a blizzard; they can't see at all. So the, the guy on the bus takes them up to there and drive them like 35 miles an hour. I mean, it's not that far from Milwaukee, but in a snowstorm at that speed, probably felt like a long way. And then they just get busing after that game. Let's just bus over to Green Bay. They did so, fly home.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like a minor league baseball trip that that uh, seems like it's never going to end. So, all right, Terry, we got some good uh, Hey Terry questions this week. And this this first one isn't really a question so much as a letter. I'm always interested in asking people, like, why are you a, a, a Cavs fan or why are you a fan mm-hmm. of whatever team you follow? And I just want to read this letter because I thought it was really kind of along that line. So, yeah. Terry, I have to weigh in on Cleveland and Bill Fitch. I appreciated your tribute when Bill Fitch passed. Back in the 70s, I was able to get 3WE on my nice radio from my boyhood home in Ames, Iowa. I was (laughs) enthralled with Joe Tate, Pete Franklin, and the miracle of Richfield. As a basketball nut, and I still am, it was so much fun to follow the underdog's run to big-time success. I still regard that as the heyday of pro hoops, if for nothing else than the stories. As you know, we had to work for our information from newspapers, magazines, some TV, and the radio airwaves. This helped make me a lifelong Cavs fan. My friends and I were aspiring journalists and broadcasters, and finding Tate was like finding a gold mine. In 2006, my wife and I spent spring break in Cleveland, and he puts an exclamation point next to spring break, <laughs> going to a Cavs game at the Q, staying downtown, and making it to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. During that trip, we were thrilled to witness LBJ hitting his first, last, second game winner against the Charlotte Bobcat, Bobcats. Back when Sports Illustrated was coming out every week, I wrote a letter to the editor in 2011 about a Joe Poznanski column on the city of Cleveland and its resiliency. I tried to note that no one personified that more than Joe Tate, who had been battling a host of health problems and was set to retire at the end of the season. I was pleasantly surprised the letter made the cut. But maybe I shouldn't have been. How could you not love the NBA through guys like Tate and Fitch? Also, somewhere deep in my files, I've got an SI article about the opening of Richfield Coliseum and Nick Maletti's influence. My young self was heartbroken when when Fitch left Cleveland, and I certainly followed his vagabond coaching career after that. What a tough basketball lifer. Anyway, as we get older, it's certainly melancholy to see icons of youth pass away. It was cold during that spring break in Cleveland, but it was memorable for my wife and I. People were so friendly downtown, and it was a fun experience. We hope to get my son to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this spring or summer. I enjoy your prolific writing and following the Cavs. Such a fun distraction from the trials of life. Sincerely, Mike Swan, and Mike is student sports media advisor at Butler Community College in El Dorado, Kansas. I just thought that was a really nice, thoughtful letter, and it kind of tied everything together with, with all that Cavs texture. So. Yeah, it
1: is. Probably Dennis Gates will go to recruit one of the players. Butler Community College sounds like he finds a player. <laughs> yeah, but, you might. But I, but it, I really but believe that um, kind of like when you're at a certain age and you find your favorite team, like when Chris Feeder wrote about that 97 uh, All-Star game and Kobe Bryant and that, that is what you think is kind of the best version of the Cavs or whatnot, you know, whether it's uh, I mean, for me, the best version of the Cavs, because now I covered them, uh, the miracle of Richfield, I was at Cleveland state working my way through school. I mean, I paid attention to it, but I didn't go to games. I mean, I was just trying to keep my, you know, my bills paid. I was, a, it was there I was working overnight at the Cleveland press and, and listening to Joe, Joe screaming about those games on the radio, but that was, that was it. And so my real indoctrination to the Cavs was the the Lenny Wilkins years. And to me, that's my favorite. Um, but for others, it could be Miracle of Richfield. But well, let's not forget that when a younger generation comes along and here comes LeBron from Akron and that, um,
0: it's easy to say, all right,
1: that was the best.
0: Well, and it's, it, you know, Greg uh, Newsom second from the Browns, yes. uh, Ashley Bastock wrote a story about him going into All Star Week. And he's a Cavs fan because of the LeBron years. LeBron. And, that, and LeBron. He, he grew up in Chicago but he was a Cavs fan. And so it's, Mm -hmm. I'm just really interested to hear what people's stories are in terms of why they latched onto a team. And that's always fun to hear. So are you ready for another Cavs question, Terry? Okay. This one is from James Shorger. He says, Hey, Terry, as a Cavs fan from their inception, I perceive or sense the following. We look back with fond nostalgia at the miracle of Richfield squads that never won a title. We look back with fond nostalgia at the nineties price, darty Nance, hot rod, Harper, Elo years that never won a title. We are starting to grow the same fondness for this good squad. However, I do not sense the same fond, nostalgic endearment for the 2016 NBA championship squad. For whatever reason, it doesn't ring with the same feeling. I know. Tell that to the 1.2 million people at the parade that day. I was downtown as well. Just a commentary by me. What do you think of that? It's a little
1: bit about what we discussed. When did you come to the cast? That's the big things he mentioned when he did. But I think for some young fans it's different. The the other thing that I do think comes into play is when LeBron shows up, especially after the, the second go around, uh, when he came in, you're no longer the underdog. And there's a certain I think Cleveland fans really do grab on to it's Cleveland against the world. Absolutely. And, like it. and I think that's and we have the t
0: shirts to prove it. Cleveland the
1: versus the world. Yeah. So I think that's the other thing with LeBron. Um, and it, look, I, I enjoyed, I covered all that stuff with LeBron and those finals and everything and playoff games. Um, but I remember one of the things that bothered me when he was here was how after the first year, um, the regular season was almost rendered meaningless. He didn't care whether they were in the one seed or the eight seed And you just remember it was like five months of waiting for the playoffs to begin. And almost the first round didn't count. So that I don't want these calves to fall into that line of thinking. I don't think they're good enough to do it, but I I don't like that. Uh, And remember how they were resting guys all the time and just trying to get everything set for the playoffs, because it was all about winning a title. And uh, if you, I believe the Cavs, I heard the stat, I have to check it during the LeBron for LeBron years, traded seven number one draft choices. Trying to because they had piled up number ones before that, you know, trying to win a title. And they did win. And so that's a that's a key thing there. It, it did happen. But I think that's that was the other difference.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I, the Cavs teams of the LeBron era were so much more about the destination than the process. I think you you explained that completely right. And this this team is so different because it is all about process and watching growth. Uh, yeah, really good point, Terry. All right, Terry, we're running a little short on time. We are going to do the Terry's trivia question for this week. First of all, I want to make sure I clear up something from last week. So last week, I, I didn't go back and listen, but the question was about the last two times the Cavs had two players play in an all-star game. Oh, So if I left the wrong impression, I should go back and see how I phrased it. But there were, you know, there was times when LeBron and Kevin Love made it, but Kevin Love was hurt and didn't play. Mm-hmm. So that was last week's question. So if I threw anybody off with that one, I wanted to apologize, but it was um, the last So two- the answer was John Johnson and Butch Beard. <laughs> That's right. 71. Back in the seventies. 72 rather. <laughs> but before I mean, Kyrie. how about that?
1: Those first two Cavs all-stars, John Johnson and Butch Beard.
0: Yep, and they were there because the Cavs needed to have somebody there. They had to have somebody and there. They flew commercial back. You could, you could call Butch at his house in uh, 127th Street in
1: New York, and he'd be out to tell you all about it. I could tell you that.
0: <laughs> all right, and so Bill here's this. out the way in
1: 2016.
0: So. <laughs> all right, here's this week's question, Terry. Um, it's a Browns question. Which college has the most players on the Browns roster right now? And well, I was there are three. L- there's three schools that have four players on the Browns. Four right players. Now. Well, at LSU they got well, that's Delpit Phillips. Um, LSU is one of them. Delpit, Phillips. Who else? Jarvis Landry and or Greedy yeah, Williams on the team. Okay. Good guess. All right. So there's two other schools that have four. Who's the fourth guy? So the four from LSU: Delpit, Landry, Phillips, and Greedy Williams. That's right. Greedy Williams. Okay. I'm gonna guess Alabama, just because it's always Alabama. It is. They are another Mac one. Young, Mac, uh, Mac, uh, what's his name? Mac Wilson. Mac Wilson. Miller Forrestall, the tight end who saw some limited action last year, and then you have Jedrick Wills and Ronnie Harrison. So there's yeah. one more, and this one I, I kind of was surprised when I saw this, and it's a Big Ten school, and it's not Ohio State. Michigan. Michigan, I believe, has two. Northwestern has four. Blake what? Hance. Wait, yeah. wait a minute. Blake Hans, Blake Hans. Obviously some. Right. Yes. Oh, I thought I was going to wait for you to guess. Anthony Walker is the third okay. one. Afadi Odenabo is the fourth one. Well, that's the one I knew. Yep. So there's four. So there's three schools that have four, but the Northwestern kind of talk about um, a surprising – School with four, I that one kind of hit me. Notre Dame's got three, UCLA has three, Tennessee has three. Are the Notre Dame guys, is such JOK. What's that? Who are the Notre Dame guys? I did not write that down. Um, it J-O-K. yeah, I'll, I'll look that up. Yeah, JOK would be one. Um, yeah. I did not look up the other guys, but yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot with two Ohio State, Florida Atlantic, South Carolina, Toledo, Georgia, I was saying, yeah, Denzel
1: Ward, Tommy Togia for Ohio State.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people want the Browns to take Garrett Wilson from Ohio state with their first round pick that would give out, give, give them three Ohio state. I'm not not ready to go
1: there yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm like 80% of they don't take a receiver in the first round. Ooh, there's a topic for next week. I'm not saying should or shouldn't won't. It's kind of like on the Jarvis thing. They won't pay him $16 million.
0: And they won't take a receiver in the first round. They won't take a receiver in the first All right. There's a topic for next week. We'll delve into that. Terry, anything coming up uh, you want to plug about your book or anything else like that? No,
1: no. but you could always go to TerryPluto.com and buy all my
0: books over and over again. And the most recent one, Vintage Browns, which was a big hit. I think you said at one point you were on the bestseller list with... Paul McCartney at one point, if I remember. Yeah, right. So it's a local store, Yeah, a local bestseller. But that was <laughs> yeah,
1: it was number two to McCartney, like most of the Barnes and Nobles in Northeast Ohio for a couple of weeks. So you were you were the walrus, Terry. But of course, my book wasn't hundred hours like his was. So, you remember <laughs> that? That
0: lyrics is hundred hours. So. That's right. So all you right, everybody- A lot of brows for a hundred bucks. <laughs> there you go. um Hey, if you want to catch us with a Hey Terry question for next week, you can hit Terry up on his Facebook page, or you can also email it to sports at cleveland.com and just put Hey Terry in the subject line or Terry's talk. And we'll try and get it on next week's podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch you next time on Terry's talk.